Good morning. Our scripture reading today will be selected passages from the book of Proverbs. Feel free to follow along by listening. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who's hasty comes only to poverty. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Where there's no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be with you all this morning. Let's begin our time by going to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you once again asking you to do what you do best, which is visiting us in your kindness, in your grace, in your compassion each Sunday, even through imperfect servants such as myself. So Father, I ask that if there's anything this morning that I say that's not from you that would fall on deaf ears, um, but what is true and what is good and what is from your word and what glorifies your son, might it be heard and might by your spirit you transform our hearts so that we come to love him more. All this for your glory and, and for our good. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I don't know about you, but I can feel the energy in the air as another school year starts. You know, there's just kind of a different vibe. My inbox is a little fuller. I can see some motivation, some excitement, some planning, some dreaming in the congregation. It's something that kind of tends to happen around this time. Even if you're not in school or don't have kids, I don't know, I feel like every time August runs around, it just, it feels like a new start, almost like a, a new year, sometimes even more so than, than January. And so often when we come to a, a new start, a time where we pause and reflect and think about what we want for the upcoming fall or winter or school year or, or whatever it may be, it is a time where we reassess things, where maybe we dream whether we consider ourselves to be a dreamer or not. We plan. We say, what do we want to look different in our lives? What do we want this school year to look like? What do I want to quit? What do I want to change? You know. Um, so, you know, what we need desperately in the midst of a new start, what we need desperately in the midst of our planning and dreaming and thinking and decision making, what we need desperately, what I pray for you all on a daily basis is wisdom. Wisdom. To navigate 
all the complexities, all the uncertainties, and all the decisions that we will make in the following weeks, month, and even year. Wisdom. When uh, Jonathan went on sabbatical a few years ago, we went through the book of Proverbs as a body. And what I found is that even though the book of Proverbs is a book that we tend to not go to, it can often be kind of a neglected book, right? And I think that could be for, for many reasons. I think one of the reasons may be is because of the sort of cultural Proverbs that we're inundated with. So I can remember as a kid going to Partners Pizza in Peachtree City, Georgia, and on the wall they would have all these kind of cultural proverbs, and it was stuff like, you know, a day on the golf course is better than any day at the office. You know, stuff like that, and it's like, oh, roll my eyes. You know, we, we don't really see those as, as being any source or place of wisdom, especially if we're in a place in our lives where we're either in crisis or need wisdom to navigate a difficult season or, or decision. But the Proverbs are, is different than the cultural Proverbs that often we see. Um, and what I've found is that if you can take the time, and it does take time, and if you can dive into the book, right, um, it can be a place where you can deeply meditate, and, and, and wisdom, wisdom can be found. Right? Wisdom can be found. So, um, today, what, what I want us to do as we enter into this new season together, is I want us to go to the Proverbs, and I want us to ask the question, right, what does wise planning look like according to the Proverbs? What does wise planning look like, or what is it that the wise planner just intuitively knows and embodies with their life and with their decision-making? Okay, so first, first thing I want us to see this morning from the Proverbs is that the wise planner knows how easily the human heart can be led astray. Look at Proverbs 16, verses 2 to 3 with me. All the ways, I can hear the flipping, you might not make it by the time I'm done. <laughs> it's pretty short, you know, the proverb. Um, so you can just listen this morning. The burden of flipping has been removed from you. You can read it if you want to. I'm not discouraging people from reading their Bibles. <laughs> in the service, just to be clear. Um, but Proverbs 16, verses 2 through 3 says, All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. All of the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. All right, what's going on here? Well, the proverb is placed in between two verses that talk about our plans and God's plans. Our plans and God's plans. And so this Proverbs, uh, this proverb, excuse me, uh, the context here shows that often we can deceive ourselves 
in the midst of planning. It focuses on the ability we have for self-deception. So um, if you go to the book of Jeremiah, you'll see the prophet Jeremiah and how he is amazed at the capacity of the human heart to deceive itself. Uh, The prophet Obadiah explains that it's our pride that often leads to self-deception. You can go to the New Testament and see the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 write about the amazing ability that you and I have to suppress truths that are plain, that are obvious. And he goes on to describe the disaster that comes when we do that. Um, the late Dallas Willard was a, a theologian who talked so often about spiritual formation. It was kind of what he was known for. And if you've read any Willard, you would know that. But he says that self-deception is a major part of what defeats spiritual formation in Christ. He says in self-deception, the individual, the group, refuses to acknowledge factors in their life of which, and I love this, of which they're dimly conscious or even know to be the case, but are unprepared to deal with. To openly admit it, and to take steps to change. As a result, those factors continue to govern their actions, shape their thoughts, their emotions. The further result is that what they say they believe and intend and want is not borne out in their lives. Self-deception. It's such a fascinating, fascinating reality. It's something I wish I could do an entire sermon on. Um, but we know this with our own lives and the lives of others, right? That we are quick to see the faults of others. Right? Um, we are quick to see specks in others' eyes, and we are slow to see planks in our own lives, right? Um, it is much easier for me to get with a group of friends and to vent about other people, and trust me, I'm good at it, um, than to sit down and to admit the ways in which I am at error, <laughs> to admit my faults, to admit my perceptions, right? And so this is why I love this proverb Because if we were to stay with this proverb for a second and to think about it and to have a conversation together, the proverb itself kind of acts like a deep breath. It acts like a moment for us to pause and to reflect on the things that drive us, which are primarily our motives and our desires that that lay beneath the surface, right? Um, So no matter your experience, uh, no matter how smart you think you are, right? No matter how many times you've done something, no matter how capable you feel, according to the Proverbs, according to the Scriptures, the wise person is the person at the beginning of every planning, at the beginning of every brainstorming session, right? Stopping, and they're saying, what am I planning for? Why do I even want this? 
What do I think this is going to provide for me? What would this mean for me if I do not get this? Do um, or does the goal and the plans to get the goal glorify Christ? We're pausing. We're getting beneath to our motives and desires. There's this famous story about Charles Spurgeon. I don't know if it's true or not. I hope it's true. But Spurgeon encounters this young boy on the streets that attends his congregation, and he goes, young man, um, excuse me, I skipped a very important part of the story. <laughs> Let me back up. He encounters this young man. The young man is smoking a cigar. Right? So Spurgeon, the preacher, walks up to him, and he says, young man, can you smoke that cigar to the glory of God? The young man puts his head down and he says, no, sir, I cannot. And Spurgeon says, okay, well, give it to me because I can. <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but I hope it is. That's one of those stories that I read as like a senior in high school and I was like, Spurgeon is awesome, you know. Um, but I think you get the point, Right? What did Spurgeon do? He got beneath the action, the behavior that drew so much attention, and he went down into the motives. He went down into the heart to do work. Right? And that is what the wise person does before any season, before any planning, right? They stop and they examine their motives and desires to make sure they align with God's purposes. Okay, so next, we just saw that wise planning has to begin with humility, in a sense, right? Um, because we are going before God, we're positioning ourselves once again in a posture of need, independence. Um, and this posture of humility leads into my second point, which is the wise planner seeks counsel from wise people. The wise planner seeks counsel from wise people. We see this throughout the Proverbs, right? Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there's no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. For by wise guidance, you can wage your war, and in, once again, an abundance of counselors, there is victory. So here, the, the wise person is the person, the humble person who acknowledges that they need help from other people. They, they acknowledge that once again from the beginning and throughout the planning process. Right. Um, and the wise person, they surround themselves with wise counsel. This is a characteristic. They are surrounded by wise counsel, right? As you consider, all right, am I someone that embodies wisdom? Who do you surround yourself with? Right? So they surround themselves with this wise counsel. And uh, for the Proverbs, who's the wise person? Well, to give a summary, the wise person, according to the Proverbs, is a a person that's wise kind of practically, ethically, and theologically, if, if I were to summarize it. And much more could be said about that. Right? But that's who the wise person is. It's all of these categories. 
All right, together. Practically, um, ethically, theologically. So, as we talk about this, right, that I think many of us would say we know, I, I don't imagine I'm going to get a lot of pushback in regards to this, but as we think about this proverb, I want to look at two barriers uh, that I've seen in pastoral ministry to this practice of surrounding ourselves with wise people. Um, the first is this. The first is that no matter how well we may think we know this or how much we may think this is common knowledge, this is very countercultural. To embody this is very countercultural. Um, why? Because I think for many of us, without knowing it, and I'm speaking to myself here, but we bought into this American view of the individual and the self-made person that doesn't need anybody. And then we think that that's the person that's wise, right? Um, that's the vision of strength, right? So to be strong and to be wise means we don't need anyone, we don't have any emotions, and we don't have any questions because we have everything figured out. And that's the picture of the wise American. So this is so harmful because not only does it go against the biblical picture of human finitude, not only does it go against the kind of biblical ecclesiology, that's a fancy word to say view of the church, study of the church, right? A vision of the church, a biblical vision of the church. Not because it just goes against all of that, right? But because... It's so harmful to us. It's so harmful to us. And it's against the picture of what it means to be wise. And one author wrote, and I thought this was good, and has had you know, me kind of doing some healthy self-examination this week, is you know, one author wrote, instead of having a strong back, many of us have a defended front shielding a weak spine. It's kind of proverbial in its own way. Right? In other words, we walk around brittle and defensive trying to conceal our lack of confidence. So I think we both know that often beneath pride, often beneath the person that's so consumed with themselves and constantly talks about themselves, right? Beneath that's insecurity. It's this outward false strength that they feel like they need to present and beneath it, there is fragility and a fear of people seeing faults and weaknesses. You know, that, that's, a, that's been me. <laughs> um, it's so many points in my life. A, a, strong, a strong front and a weak spine. Right? Fearful of letting anybody in to see what's behind that barrier. Right. So, if that's you this morning, my prayer is that you would see the biblical picture of the wise person. A wise person who in humility says, I need other people. And I can go before other people in need and that that is actually what strength looks like. I do it not because I'm dumb, not because I'm weak, not because I'm incapable, but because I'm wise. That's the vision. Okay. 
Second, the second barrier um, that I see as a pastor is that I think some of us operate with autonomy because we've been deeply hurt by people in our lives. And to, to narrow it down even a little more, some of us operate with autonomy because we've been, we've been deeply hurt by people in the church. So if, a few years ago, I was talking with um, a woman and she was reflecting on her story and she told me something that I'll never forget. She said that when she was kind of college age, she went to a Christian mentor in a time of need she was struggling in, in various ways, and she poured out her heart. I mean, she, she was seeking wisdom and guidance and counsel. And what she said is that all she can remember from that encounter is just being completely di- dismissed. And one of the things if we're going to be honest this morning, which I hope we can be as we gather as the people of God, is we have to be honest about the ways that the church has hurt people. We have to be honest about the damage that can do when a person's experience with a small group leader, with an elder, with a deacon, with a pastor, whoever, is one in which they felt immense judgment, shame, manipulation. And it happens. And so she said that experience, and this is what really stayed with me. She goes, I left that meeting and I determined that I would never open up to anyone else in my life. That nobody would make me feel the way that I felt in that meeting. So if that's you this morning, can I just say that we have so much compassion for you? And we're so sorry that happened to you. The Bible talks about good, wise, holy leadership, and what you experienced was not that. And that breaks the heart of God, and it breaks our heart. And the other thing that I want you to hear is that I know that trust has to be built. You know? Um, To open back up again will probably be one of the hardest things, you know. And I just want you to know that there's time and there's space here for us to earn your trust. Okay. So to close this section, we we see the barriers, don't we? And those two examples were kind of an offering for you to examine your own heart and your own life and to see what is... What are the things that are keeping me from going to wise counsel for that to be a characteristic of my life, right? Not lice. (laughs) A life. Um, Because what we see, and this is the last thing that I want to say on this, the wise person has an abundance of wise counsel. Isn't that beautiful? I love that picture. An abundance. And so that's been my prayer for our church. Lord, would you make it so that each one of our members has an abundance of relationships with wise people that they can go to, for that's what we need. Okay, last thing that I want us to see this morning is that the wise planner knows that their plans are ultimately 
at the service of God's eternal purposes. The wise planner knows that their plans are ultimately at the service of God's eternal purposes. Chapter 16, verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So, these two Proverbs for chapter 16, they kind of act like bookmarks around the entire section. In chapter 16, if you go and read it, it's talking about God's sovereignty and human responsibility. That's the theme. Right? Um, so, both of these Proverbs cause us to think and meditate on the reality that we as human humans legitimately make plans. We scheme, right? We, we dream, we hope, right? We do all these things, and that sex thing, sets things in motion. Man, I've had a couple misspeaks this morning, but sets into sex is probably the worst. <laughs> I think I'd, I normally do a, a cup and a half of coffee. I did a cup, and I'm feeling it, okay? So... <laughs> What sets things into motion, right? I had to acknowledge it. I couldn't just go on like nothing had happened. I've done that a few times this morning, but I had to with that one, right? What am I talking about? I'm talking about how we plan, we move, right? We do things, and that causes things to happen. We know, we know this, right? But there's also the reality in the midst of that that God is definitive as to what will happen and what will take place and what will occur in our lives. That we are responsible and that God is sovereign and this is something that we hold in tension here at Shades Valley. As Jonathan says, don't cut the tension, right? We hold up both high and this is extremely important to talk about as we plan. And what's so interesting if I can talk about kind of a fun Proverbs thing here, which I know you want me to. Um, this passage is so significant for the book of Proverbs because the book talks about, and this makes sense, the book talks about certain behaviors and their outcomes. And it's kind of giving probabilities in some sense. If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. If you save money, this is what will happen with your money, right? That's kind of what the Proverbs does. But what's so interesting is that here, the passage reminds us that we can't put all of our trust in our plans, in our wisdom. We cannot ultimately lean on wisdom itself. That cannot become the thing that we trust. Our plans, our goals, our work cannot be the thing at the end of the day that you and I lean on, right? And place our confidence in. It's the Lord. It's fear of the Lord, which is a posture of trust and awe and submission. That we say, Lord, we plan, but we know that you are sovereign and that you come to determine what comes to pass and that with all of our planning, as much as we can try to control 
And as much as we can try to get a certain future to happen or to have certain desires and hopes and dreams and everything come true, that ultimately we are under your wise providence. Um, When uh, our daughter, Elizabeth Ann, who's been talking during this entire sermon, Uh, when uh, she was born, you know, we, we took her home from the hospital. At first, she had high bilirubin levels, and I didn't know what that was, and someone was like, that's jaundice, and I was like, oh, that's helpful. I don't know what that is either, um, but they explained it to us, and so she was under the lights, and then we finally got to go home, and we were there with my mother-in-law, and my mother-in-law was kind of like, she looks like she has a bad spray tan, N- nothing against spray tans, um, but that's what she looked like. And so we go back to the hospital, and we weren't expecting it. First-time parents here, right? And they're like, okay, her levels are so high that she has to go to the NICU. And so cognitively, right, we knew. I mean, my wife works in a hospital in the NICU at Children's, PICU and NICU at Children's. So it's like cognitively we knew that this was something that's very common, right, and this is something that she was, had a high probability she was going to be perfectly fine after a short stay. That's what we knew cognitively. We did not know that emotionally. Um, emotionally, we were a wreck. I was a wreck, right? Um, and no matter what a doctor says, seeing your baby hooked up to everything with the lights is, is always going to be devastating, right? And so I can remember there was one point and I'm not going to cry for sure. Um, but there was one point where she was under the lights, and I was, she was holding my finger, and in the midst of it, I felt like the Lord said to me, Brad, she's mine. She's mine. And for me, I had spent the last several months having all these hopes and all these dreams, and all these plans for her life, everything that I wanted for her, and this was not in the plan. This was not what I expected. But very early on, I felt like the Lord, in that moment, by the Spirit, pushed me to a place of realization and surrender that He is sovereign, and that He has purposes for her life, and no matter what my purposes may B, they must submit and give way to his. And that means a deep place of surrender and trust, right? And we know, some of you parents in here, I can see as I'm looking at you, like, you know this to be true, right? I'm going to continue to learn it. You know this to be true with your kids, but it's also true with our own stories. So maybe you're here this morning and you are filled with anxiety because you have so much of your life before you and you have so many dreams and so many hopes and so many plans. And as you sit here, there's kind of an anxiety because it's like, what if this doesn't work out? What if I don't get these things that I want? What if the, what if the dreams and the hope that I have are, are unfulfilled, right? It's a hard place to be. Maybe you're here this morning and you've lived a little more life or you've lived a hard life. And you are living in the midst of 
broken dreams and broken hopes and desires and you've planned and you've worked hard and you organized everything and you were faithful and you went to church every Sunday and then this is what happened. This is where you're at. Maybe it's with your marriage. I didn't see it going this way. Maybe it's with your kids. I didn't see it going this way. Maybe it's with your vocation. I didn't see it going this way. Maybe it's with your church community. I didn't see it going this way. Right? And so there's a deep place of despair and hopelessness as everything that we've worked for and tried to accomplish did not give us what we wanted. Right? So I don't know where you are this morning. Right? But I just want to say this right, to both of you. Your life is hidden in Christ Jesus. It's not going to immediately take everything away, the pain, the hurt, the broken dreams, the plans that didn't come to fulfillment. It's not going to take it away. But your life is hidden in Christ Jesus. I want you to hear that this morning. And that your life, you are not defined by the things that you've done or not done or the goals that you've accomplished or not accomplished. You are defined by who Jesus says you are. You are found in him. And here's the other thing. Your story is engulfed and caught up in Christ Jesus. You are part of something so much larger than yourself. Once again, it doesn't immediately take everything away, but, but you are caught up in this larger narrative, right? So that your future is not one of constantly comparing yourself to another, you know, other people, oh, look at his story, look at her story, oh, look at mine, will this happen to them, will this happen to me, right? It's not that, rather the future um, you can go and, and read you know, Ephesians 1 on this and God's purposes for your life and Christ's purposes for your life. Your future is one where everything is caught up into Jesus Christ's purposes and plans for the entire world. And so we can't even understand our own story now, but in eternity, right, we will see in full we will see the beautiful mosaic that Christ has brought together. We will see all the broken pieces and all the frustrations and all the disappointments and all the twists and the turns and all the chaos. All of that will be brought together in a way where we see what Jesus has done and we will say, worthy is the Lamb to receive all honor and glory and praise. For He has taken my life and He has brought it up into His glorious purposes he has sanctified it. He has made it holy. So we say with James in chapter 4. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring or the school year. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, 
you ought to say, what? If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Yes, if the Lord wills. But the good news this morning is that his will for you, his eternal purposes for you, his purposes are good. Holy Spirit, plant that deeply in our hearts so we can see it. Amen. Amen.